Hello and welcome to the Turned On Podcast. I'm Angelique Nori and my husband David and I have made it our mission to break the darkness by flipping the switch on the four most important areas of your life in health, relationships, business, and in faith. And sometimes the light in the world and in your life can go dim, either from the intrusion of technology or simply because society is so driven by instant gratification. It's our mission to help people see that we're hardwired for connection and that the best things in life come when we turn on the light to see with new eyes the opportunity that exists just a flip away. So if you're ready to stir your spirit, open your eyes, and profit in all areas of your life, then let's get turned on. Here we go. All right, welcome back to the Turned On Podcast. My name is David Nori, and I have a great one for you today. And I'm doing this with two other gentlemen. Angelique is taking the day off. Ladies, that doesn't mean you need to take the day off. This is, this is for everybody. But um, we're going to kind of do uh, a family-based podcast today. I have two other fathers, and they're brothers, which makes it special. And the reason I wanted to bring them on, especially during this time of year, is because we're going to be spending so much time around our families. And looking back, the year we've had in 2020, we realized that family is crucial to the future of not only this country, but this planet. And I am, I am so passionate about bringing on fathers. I'm so passionate about bringing on men of the word. I'm so passionate about bringing on guys who are leading their families, but more importantly, they're leading their communities and they're leading in the workplace. So ladies, gentlemen, please welcome my guests, brothers, Pete and Steven Camiolo. So good to be here. Thanks for having me and thanks for having us. Steven, so good to see you to do my, to my brother. <laughs> yes. Literally. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Dave, for having us. Pleasure to be here. And Pete, as always, good to see you. <laughs> All right. So, um, guys, this is cool because I come from, I'm the youngest of a family of four. I believe you guys have, is it six or seven? Six. 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 Okay. Um, and, and I'm going to, I, I, I didn't know you were the, the baby, David. I, the I baby. am the baby. Boom. We got that baby <laughs> thing going. And my wife's an only child. So it's an interesting dynamic there. We're going to dive right into it. We're going to get right into the juice here. We're going to start breaking the ice with a home run. Steven, you introduced me to your brother, Pete. And the very first day we met, we went on a walk and we were walking and he said something to me. He said that he had uh, kind of went into his prayer closet and he heard God say, am I enough? Hmm. Am I enough? And Pete, you were going through, th through some things in your life at that time. And ever since you told me that, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And I, have it, I wrote it on a post-it note and I taped it onto my refrigerator and I walk by it every day and it says, am I enough? Can you explain to our audience how that conversation came to be and what that means? Yeah, man. Um, I, I love this, uh, that we're going, we're going to go deep fast because I think that's the only way to go. Um, because the deeper you go, then the deeper you get to go. Right. So, uh, to me, this was, uh, like you said, a season of just really grappling in my journey as a professional really. Um, and, and what, where I was and where I find my, my value and my worth and where I find my meaning and my fulfillment. And, um, you know, I, I'd been through a season of really kind of 
walking away from some things professionally that I had felt were really important to me uh, and I actually loved and were, were valuable. But I felt honestly that God was calling me to, to really pursue my family in, in a more specific way and also pursue him in a new way and also be open to new opportunities that I wouldn't have if I stayed doing what I was doing. So it's like a, a very much faith-filled kind of, you know, journey. Well, after a few years of, of doing that, it, it literally still like, I felt like Jacob, like wrestling with the angel, like wrestling with God. Like, I just don't know, like, if you're legit, like, is this real? Like, it is like, how, how, how does I, how do I do this? Like on the day in and day out, like, there's just so many things vying for like my heart and for my attention and my affection and, 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 and including like my family and, and so just journeying through that, you know, it, it hit me was, you know, the Lord really woke me up and just was like, hey, um, it, I was woken up with a question, which was, am I enough? And I'll be honest, man, I couldn't answer the question. Couldn't answer it. And so that day I did go into my prayer closet and I, as I was praying, and I was going through my routine and my, my rhythms. It was, I, I, I literally felt God answer that exact question. I wasn't thinking about that question necessarily. I was, I was just praying and I felt like he answered the question with the statement, I am enough. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like he was like, and by the way, it's enough. He's like, no matter what you're going to try to fill the void of your whatever you got going on with that's not me will not be enough, but I am. And it was almost like a showstopper of like, dude, you can fill your, you can fill your life with, 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 with success in your business, uh, a better, even, even better marriage, uh, better relationships with your kids that get even better and, and, and more money and, and more security you will, it will not be enough, but I'm enough. Mm. And I was just like, <laughs> like it, 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 draw, it, 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 like it, it pushed me down to a place of not devaluing any of those other things, but they all come underneath him. Yeah. That he is enough. And no matter what goes right or the exact other, other side wrong. Yeah. He's enough. And that to me is the starting place. And I'm, I, it's taken me like decades just to get to that. And it's like, oh, that's where we begin to live life. It's like, whoa. Mm. So Such man, that, that, that's, that's, it's, it's deep. It's, it's, uh, I'm in the thick of it today, yeah. yesterday, tomorrow. <laughs> um, it's deep, but it's simple. That's what I yeah. love about the Bible. It's yeah. deep, but it's simple. And it's such a good word. You know, my pastor, I says, the Bible is, is, is a book that is timely because it's timeless. Hmm. And that's such a good word for this year and today and moving forward. And it's so simple. And it was there in King Solomon, right? He had chased everything. He had the women, he had the money, he had the houses, the property, the servants, everything you could want under the sun. And he threw his hands up and he said, is this all there is? And then that's when God says, I'm enough. And he said it to you clearly and he punctuated it. And that's why I wanted to start with this. So now that we have that, Stephen, you guys 
in addition to being extremely good looking brothers, right? For those people that are going to see you on this, um, is it Italian, right? I'm assuming Camiolo's, Cam am I saying that right? Camiolo? Camiolo. Okay, because my, my daughter who's eight, she said it like four or five different ways. Um, but so let's go back into this. So there's your brother speaking those words. You and I have had really deep conversations. I know at the beginning of the year, Stephen, you were going to have a men's retreat just before the lockdown came. I mean, you had everything planned out. You had this amazing retreat where you were going to pour into men, faith and family and all this thing. And then you had to postpone it. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what, what Pete's doing. But let's go back for the people because I want to see how two brothers, and I assume that the other four, I don't know if they're as faith-filled as you guys, but we can talk about that. Tell me about the roots of your family, Stephen, what your parents were like, what it was like growing up, where your faith started. Yeah, well, I I, uh, I feel very blessed, and 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 Pete, you're welcome to chime in at any point because I don't want to speak for you, but you know, I I feel very blessed having grown up as we did. Um, my mom and dad made choices before I was born on how they were going to live their lives and how they were going to raise their family, and they were very intentional about it. Uh, and, and being a family of six kids, when you go to the grocery store, you stick out a little bit, you know, uh, when you do anything and, and growing up, we had this big, uh, 18, the, the vans that aren't safe to drive anymore. You know, that was our family vehicle was a van. And so, uh, we stood out and honestly, now looking back at, back at that, I realized how special that is. Actually, my mom and dad just celebrated their anniversary. And so I was, I was speaking with her the other day and I was thanking her because I said, now being a father, a father of three, I look back and I realize, you know, it, it is, you have to be so intentional mm -hmm. on instilling values into your kids and growing and raising them in a certain way. It, it, it's very intentional and it's very deliberate. And honestly, the values that we all hold here you know, they set us apart. And so uh, I feel very blessed that my mom and dad made choices growing up um, to instill faith in us um, and to teach us about the word. Um, and, you know, and it was a part of our daily life. Were you, you know? Was there resistance? Was there ever any resistance? I mean, cause let's face it, when you're a kid, sometimes, you know, I remember my, do I have to go to church or, or there's a ball game going on or something? Uh, there, there was a fair enough of resistance when I started to get old enough and, um, there, there, there was resistance there. Um, and, and, and that's an interesting kind of side to it. You know, uh, it, is it true? I think it's in Proverbs what it says, when you teach them in their youth, they come back to, you yes. know, I would say that my, my level of resistance took me further away than I would have liked, but um, but it has, but I, but, but I, but it's brought me back. Okay. And so I, when, I, when your brother says that, that quote right there, when he says, am I enough? And, and you look at that as, as not only a brother in blood, but a brother in Christ, um, that's powerful. And, and you guys have an ability not only to raise your families, but to make an impact on other people. So what do you think of when you hear that God saying, am I enough? You know, it's funny. So Pete and I haven't talked about this yet. Uh, David, I think I maybe sent it to you in a voice message. But a couple nights ago, or now maybe a week or two ago, waking up, uh, I was in that, that light sleep right before waking up. I was still in my bed. And I heard two things uh, in a very stern, fatherly voice from the Lord. And one of them was, enough is enough. 
So different context, Pete, than what you were saying, but still for me, it was that same line of, hey man, you know, he was saying to me, you know what I want from you. You know how special you are, you're created. When is enough enough? Meaning when are you going to draw a line and stop filling in with these other things yeah. and stop, start, stop compromising in a sense? And when is enough enough? Um, and to me, the reason why I know who he is is because of what was instilled to me as a youth. Okay. So let's talk about that. Uh, either one of you, your father, your mother, because there are fathers and mothers listening to this that are on a different they're all at different parts of their faith journey. Some have no faith at all. Some are very faithful. Some have no kids. Some are single. Let's, let's just talk about it. But for those who right now are saying, geez, how do I lead my family? And then you go back to say, well, wait a minute. How did my parents lead me? You know, because the thing we always want to say as we get older is, geez, in my day. And, and I don't think that is going to work with a younger generation. Well, in our day, we did this, this, and that. And they're like, yeah, that was your day. But we do have to carry on traditions. We do have to say, what did our parents do that made us who we are? And when we could have went in the other direction. So can you think of a specific moment? Can you guys tell me a time when you were being raised? What was the dinner table like? What was, what was the prayer life like around the Camiolo house? Yeah, I, I, I'll speak to that first. Um, and you brought it up. And, and we actually had this conversation at a Friendsgiving last week actually, um, with our small group. And one of the things that was brought up, my wife actually brought it up was how we were infamous growing up for what was called the Camiolo dinners. Because um, and people wouldn't come over our house because they're like, we'll come over after dinner. Because <laughs> they knew that it was like this hour long experience where we actually sat and just sat there. And we talked, we shared highlights, we honored each other. There was there was no rush. Like it was a very intentional time of time blocked. And it was at a table. It was around the table. Um, and you know, that actually happened and people had jobs to do like before the meal and then after the meal, meaning not the parents, the kids had the jobs yeah. and uh, you know, that type of, that type of an experience. So I would say if anything stands out to me that I, that I would say, was remarkable to the point where other people would comment to us about it who were also coming from homes that were a little bit similar to ours, meaning their families were more faith-filled and so they were in our circle. That even stood out to them as like, um, that was like a little bit over the top, don't you think, Pete? <laughs> and now when I look back at some of the areas that really became something that I was missing in my life as a husband, as a father, it was because I was not getting that experience with my children. They weren't having that with me for many years. It was that was missing and I value it and I value it to this day. So I would say that that would be the one, if there was one thing that they did, it was that, but it wasn't just sitting at the table. It was sitting at the table and actually going around and honoring someone at the table, mm. meaning pointing out something good about somebody who's at the table. Yeah. Uh, you could honor somebody who wasn't at the table too, 
but you, you had to honor someone at the table as well. And think about and, how that's changed. Think yeah. about, think about in, in, in the Bible, you know, there's so many different verses that we can point to where it tells us to break bread together, where it says, you know, when you eat together, the table in the Bible is, is there's no going around it. It's there. It's there several times. And think about what that meant to you. Think about what that means to our kids now because we're so busy. And that's why when we started the Turned On Table, uh, Angelique and I, because we noticed in our own home, all oh, the kids sitting here with his, their iPad open eating, or one kid's upstairs watching TV, or even the TV's on, or Angelique's trying to do some work, or my phone interrupts us. And so that communion, right? That's what we want to call it. That's the communion time is being spoiled. And look at the impact it had on you. Yeah, that was huge. And I will say, because you asked about it, did I always love it? No, I didn't. You know, as a, as a teenager, things like that, you're like, man, the guys are going, like, we got to go. Like, why do I have to be here? Yeah. So, so there was definitely pushback. Um, and, but, I, but I feel that more often, though, there was comfort to it. And, and so that, w- that was one thing. I would say the other thing that jumps out to me, Stephen, you can jump in, was our parents were very open to having people come to our house. Ooh, I like that. In other words... Like we didn't have to, they didn't were like, get out now, guys, you guys need to go. They were very open and, and hospi- hospitality was important, yeah. you know? Uh, so always, not just at the dinner. I mean, I'm, I'm talking like any time. Sure. I like just, that. We were a home a that was like, home. A, y'all can come in and go in the refrigerator and do your thing. And, yeah. and there, was, there, was a, there was that feeling. And so I think those two things yeah. were really powerful growing up that really impacted me and still impacted me to this day dinners and, and hospitality, like being willing to invite people to come in. So important. You know, what's interesting about that is there was no excuse good enough for me to miss dinner. Like I, I could have thought of the best thing and my dad be like, okay, that's great, but you're not missing dinner. Like, but dad, you don't understand, but just 15, no. Okay. Whatever it is, I don't care. It's not good enough. You're going to be in the seat at six o'clock. And then um, there's a, there's a pastor named pastor Nancy Dufresne, who I just heard her speaking a couple weeks ago. And she said, it wasn't good enough this is very interesting, and this is bold. This is bold, guys. She goes, it wasn't good enough for my children to play or be around people who were just saved. I had to know where they were on their faith journey because she goes, mm. sometimes people who are just saved, they're not always walking in a faith journey. You know, she goes, I had to know what they were actively doing, and sometimes that will seem like micromanaging your kids, and certainly that'll seem like, geez, are we going to dive into all of our children's friends and find out where they are? But on the other end, hey. That is your most important asset. Yeah. So if we don't take that job seriously, then what? So Stephen, can you describe what that looks like in your house? Um, but before you do that, just, just describe your father. I, wanna, I just want to know, for better or worse, I want to know what a dad looks like who raised two boys like you and, and a family of six. I would say, um, well, I, I love my dad very much. And he was, I would say, um, stern, um, but at the same point, so loving. Um, he, our friends would call him intimidating, but on the other side, we'd be at a wedding and he would be bawling, crying because mm-hmm. it was so beautiful. So it, it, it was this dynamic that I got to see that, that I got to see growing up, um, I know that he loved us very much, but definitely my, my friends would call him intimidating. And, and even to me growing up, like I knew that there was the law of the land, Yeah, you know? Um, 
What's the, one, also, what's the one thing that you want to take from him? What's the one thing, like, in each of you, what's the one thing you said, if, if I could take this part of my dad, this is the one thing I want to make sure I carry on? For me, it would be his consistency. Um, I, I did, that, that, that brought me comfort. You know, he, he had consistency in his rhythms. Um, and it, it was kind of the same thing. I could expect the same demeanor from him throughout the steps. That's interesting because you know, most people wouldn't life. think of that. Explain that a little bit more because most people say, oh, his loving or his, his ability to do, you know, to do tasks around the house or his leadership or his brain. Consistency, not, not really what you might expect, but I think very interesting. Yeah. So I, like his, he, yeah, that, that, that's what I would say. Like he had a rhythm to his hard work and what he did and what he taught us. But it was consistent. So if I, if I had a question or a need, you know, I, I knew that no matter what it was, what kind of response I would get, I know that he would always first out of the gate, probably say, hey, no. And then he would think on it. And then he would respond like, you know, I, I, I got like, so it was the same response. It was the same rhythm for me as a child okay. growing up. That was very important. Um, so, yeah, I, I love the, st the stability. Right. I like that. Uh, I'm sorry, the consistency. Consistency. I like it. What about you? What about you, Pete? What's you know, as I look back now, there, there's a bunch of cool things that have popped into my head since, Stephen, you were talking, you got to go first. Um, I, I would say one of the things that comes out of is, is my dad's conviction. Um, mm -hmm. He was a very convicted person. Like in his own family, he was like a, he was the guy who went down a different path, meaning he pursued like his faith, whereas his other siblings and other family members, really faith isn't a, wasn't a big deal at all. Obviously in maybe nominal, some level of holidays, we might pray for a minute or yeah. something, but that's not part of people's life. It, he, he, he came out of that and he was very convicted about it. And he, I, he was bold in how he shared about his faith, you know, with his clients, he ran a company as well. And he would talk about his faith, you know, that in his work, he would, he was very convicted about how he chose to live his life. And we lived our life. And he was not, uh, you know, he was convicted about it. He was bold about that, even with his family. Um, so I, I would say that those two things were, are two things that, that jump out to me as far as when I think about attributes um, or character that I want to also live that way um, is I want to live a life of conviction. I love it. Right. I think conviction is really important. Like I don't like talking to people when I'm like, I'm not sure what you're saying. I'm, I'm not sure. Do you want to go there? Or do you want to go here? Like which restaurant is it? Like, like conviction, like I'm convicted about like important things in my life about wow. family, about how we, um, you know, let's say spend our, our finances, um, how I structure my schedule, and I could, we could list a bunch of stuff, but he was convicted about how we lived as a family, uh, how he was very generous with his uh, finances, mm -hmm. and also with, with, you know, how he lived his wow. faith. So those things so, jumped out. So let's think about this. So one brother says consistency. The other brother says conviction. I think two very unique, very good answers for any father or mother out there listening. Um, if I go back, I'm going to play a clip here in a second from a pastor uh, that's made the biggest impact on me, Pastor Mark Driscoll of the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I remember I was at, um, I was at a men's, uh, when I was in his church physically, I, was, I went to men's meetings on Wednesday nights, and he said something that stuck with me. First thing he said is, um, how many of you 
think your father's going to leave you a financial legacy, whether it's an inheritance or something. And there was probably 50 guys around my age in, in the group on a Wednesday night, and they all raised their hand. And he goes, okay, now let me ask you this. How many of you think your father is going to leave you a spiritual legacy, or how many of you are intending on leaving your sons and daughters a spiritual legacy? And all, everyone just got like, whoa. What we're seeing here is, goes back to the beginning of this conversation. Am I enough? Your heavenly father, am I enough? Your earthly father, I can give you money. I can, I can give you a house. I can give you all these things. But am I going to give you the spiritual legacy? Is that going to be enough to get you through the hard times in your life? And that, for anybody out there listening, we always think, well, if I just save a little bit more for my kid, I can send them to an Ivy League school, or I can give them a great wedding, or I can buy them a new car. What are you going to think about, can I give my kid the best gift of all, the gift of faith that can help him through those trials in life? And can we do that? Where, where are you guys right now? Give us the ages of your children, and, and what's the one thing that you try to do with them to build their faith? My, I have a, an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a four-year-old. And as you're saying that, I, the one thing that comes to mind is that there's such a level of deception happening in the world right now. Mm. Uh, there's so many lies. There's so many things that people can get caught up in and buy into, and especially for kids. You know, I, I feel kids are just getting attacked in such a way that, again, there's, they're getting bombarded with so much technology and information and there's a lot of deception there and so one of the things that my wife and I have made just a key point as a staple is to expose them to the word read it to them have them read it aloud you know the the because here, here's the, when you read the bible it's like being in the presence of a sun on a hot summer day you can be in the sun on a hot summer day just standing there and it changes your complexion right it turns me really red and, and, and burns me. D David, it probably turns you a nice, <laughs> sexy tan or something like that, right? But like it, it, when you're in its presence, it can't help but change you. You don't have to do anything to, to receive it. It just is. And so as you read the word and read it over them, um, my prayer is and belief is that as they get exposed to that, their ability to recognize deception will increase. Amen. Yeah. Very important. Spiritual warfare, it's funny because uh, about a year and a half ago, I looked at Angela and I said, you know, we just came from a Bible conference and the guy there was talking about spiritual warfare. Our pastor back in Arizona has been preaching about spiritual warfare and our pastor here in Tennessee has been preaching about spiritual warfare. I go, should we be ready for something? Do you think, do you think there's something where all three of them are talking about this at the same time? I mean, and here we are. And here we are. So, uh, yeah, we have to keep our kids from the deception that is out there. And it's in their cartoons. It's so prevalent in cartoons. I hate to say it, guys. They are, they are, people are trying to raise our kids. And, again, Driscoll says, if you, the dad, doesn't raise them, then Satan will. And, and he yeah. does that through a couple of different ways. So we got to be vil, uh, vigilant on, on making sure, look, we know the parents who said, look, I, hey, kids, if you're not going to like me, that's okay. You'll, you'll thank me later. You know, we want to be friends with them. But at the same time, we don't want to say, hey, you know what, do whatever you want, and I'll just let you go because we have to be in their lives. And sometimes we have to be really in their lives. So what, what about you, uh, Pete? What are you doing? How old are your kids, and what are you doing to instill their faith? So our kids are 13, 9, 7, 
five and three. And, you know, I, I'm going to go ahead and, and kind of ride Steven's coattails that I, I would say the number one thing that we do and we've committed to is praying together as a family. Um, and that looks different, you know, in, in different days and in different times of the day. But we have intended that whenever we get in a car and we're going, let's say, if we're going to school, you know, we're praying together. If we're having a meal, we're praying before the meal. Uh, if it's if it's at home and we're, let's say, it's the weekend or it's say a homeschool day because we do we do kind of a split school model, uh, you know, we do we do a morning prayer and that's that's part of it. So one is we pray together as a family, and that usually includes us you know, reading God's word. And also now some of my older kids actually reading God's word out loud to the rest of the children. So that's, that's been huge. The second one I'm going to run with, because it's, it's really important to me as a father and as a husband, and it's been transformative in my life. And I've been doing this probably consistently for about a year now, which is I meet one-on-one with each one of my kids every week. And it's like seven minutes for the little ones, 10 minutes for the big ones. It's not crazy time. Because people are like, oh my goodness, I block an hour. Right now, it's Tuesdays for me because that's the week night that works best for me and for our whole family. And it's literally a 60-minute block and I will literally sit down and it's amazing. They come in one at a time and when one leaves, they go get the next one, they come in, they shut the door. Like it's a private dad only. And you know, it's interesting, even when my wife has come in like once or twice, let's say it's in my bedroom, she wants to go in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. She wants to hang around because she's like, I love this energy. Yeah, It's mm-hmm. such a powerful energy. But like, babe, can you leave? Like this is dad, kid time, dad, yeah. son, dad, daughter. Like, I have four boys and a girl. So, and that to me, David has been so powerful for me. Okay. But I know innately, spiritually, that it's powerful for them. I know it. Like, you know, when something is right and you're like, yeah, this is right for everybody. It's one of those, those activities that I will, and I, my wife and I actually, we recently met uh, this weekend. We planned our, we did our 2021 uh, visioneering meeting and we, we, we went through, we went through every category of our life and we planned out all these things. But I was like, you know, what's the one thing I would never let anything encroach is that right there. Yeah. Hmm. I would so, never. So that that's not that's like right at the top for me. And we pray at the beginning of it, and at the end of it. One of the things I ask at the end of it is, how can I pray for you? And it's amazing when you ask a five-year-old, a three-year-old, a seven or thirteen-year-old, how can I pray for you? What they say, just listen. And you're like, really? Can I pray? Like, what an honor for me. Like, you want me to pray for you for that? Wow. Man, I'll tell you, it's so powerful. Um, just a, an amazing rhythm in, in our life right now. I think every single parent should listen to that again, both from both of these men. Uh, the, it made the biggest difference in, in our lives, in our family. So for me as a Catholic, I, I wasn't used to praying out loud. and I, w- I prayed ritualistic prayers. So when I met Angelique, I started, she's taught me how to pray out loud, which was very awkward at first. So whenever I advise somebody, I go, look, if you want to have a better relationship with your wife, pray out loud with her, pray over her, pray with her, and, and stay away from the ritualistic prayers. Speak to God together. I go, it'll change everything. And then the next step is pray over your kids out loud. And it's hard. Like some of you guys out there may go, well, that's weird. It's going to be fear. Hey, as awkward as it is, if there's one thing us three men can guarantee anybody listening right now, beyond the shadow of a doubt, 100% guaranteed. If you pray out loud over your wife and over your children, I guarantee you will have a better marriage and a better relationship with your kids. 1,000%. 1,000%. 
we're going to get into something real quick here. Uh, again, I wanted to play this from Pastor Mark Driscoll. He said something recently, and he was saying how, look, when, when God called out for Adam, he called out. He didn't call for Eve, even though she was the one that partook of the fruit. He wanted to know where Adam was. He says, look, Adam should have stuck up for Eve. He should have, he should have said, you know, you come through me. You know, we have to be the leaders of our family. We all have strong, strong wives. And that's what's happening. The, the devil will take and the devil will counterfeit the word. And he'll counterfeit things in our current culture to where, you know, this women's movement's going on. And you'll see us talk about being strong leaders in the household. And women might say, hey, you know what? This is not, you know, the 1960s or the 1970s. We're not saying that. We're saying biblically the man leads the family. It doesn't mean he doesn't respect his wife. It doesn't mean she's any less than him. I mean, biblically, the man leads the family. So Mark Driscoll has a better way of saying this than me. I'm going to ask you guys um, to just kind of tune in here and listen to this clip and, and, and see if we can speak to it afterward. Adam and Eve were there together. Satan comes up, has a conversation with Eve. What does Adam say? Nothing. What does he do? Nothing. Most men who are the sons of Adam, our sin and our failure is our passivity. Passivity is the prototypical male sin. Guys don't, they're not active. They're inactive. They're not aggressive. They're, they're passive. They don't endure conflict. They avoid conflict. The, the question is not who's going to be the head of your family, men. It's you or Satan. So we're like, what about my wife? They thought it would be Adam or Eve. It ended up being Adam or Satan. And as soon as Adam abdicated his leadership over his family, Satan replaced him. Satan replaced him. The moral of the story is, it's not the husband or the wife that is the head of the family. It is the husband or Satan. And Adam and he did nothing. And for most men, our sins are sins of omission. If God showed up and said, what did you say? I didn't say anything. That was a problem. What did you do? I didn't do anything. That's a problem. And then the wife... It's so the sins of omission. Mm. Think, think about what that means. And just, just kind of tell me what you thought about that whole, that whole piece. I mean, it's a strong piece. He doesn't mix words. And, and you know, he even said, he goes, some of you guys might not be in my, in my congregation next week because you might be offended. But we need to speak to men in this way, I feel. Yeah, I, I think, well, one, I love how direct it is. You're right. We do need that. And, and, and like he said, it's not, I mean, it's biblical, right? So th this is not a reflection on who's important, all that. But there's a framework that is laid out. And in that framework, the male, right, it, it's an honor and a responsibility that we get to claim that has been given to us, right, that we should see it as an honor to step into that. And if I'm this, and, and the way he said it is beautiful, if I'm the, because I can see it, and, I, and, and I've maybe even been this at moments in my life, and I know I, I have friends who, who I can see it in, in their you know, it's like, well, the wife, she's the spiritual head of the house. I, I do what I do. I, you know, mm -hmm. that's not an option. Yeah. Yeah, Stephen, we saw it a lot in, in healthcare where 
you know, typically the buyer of healthcare is the, is the woman in the family. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that was a, was a, a standard that we set was whenever it was healthcare decisions being made, especially with a kid involved, I said, I want both of the parents to be there to meet with me. And I would, I would have my team say, you know, this isn't Dr. Pete's suggestion. It's his recommendations. It's, you know, so, so that, that to me, I saw that abdication of, responsibility when it comes to health stuff to the the mother and and we we could argue why that would happen or wouldn't happen but my side as a man who happens to be in healthcare is is yeah my wife mary her sensitivity to the kids health needs is is actually sharper than mine i'll give her that she absolutely has more intuition and sensitivity to that but as a as a uh, educated you know doctor Doctor, obviously, I have knowledge about it, so I can easily be there to support her. But we make decisions together as as a family. I would say where I fell short in this is that I actually bought into the the lie that you know I was going to be focusing on on the business side and and making money and generating revenue, which has just happened to be how it worked out in in our family up to this point because we've been having a lot of children and my wife has been able to stay home and I was going to work that type of thing. And I know that's just a, but that is what I did. And I realized and recognized that for too many years, I had been passive with certain things in the household that I shouldn't have been. Mm. So guilty as charged, Mark, yeah. speaking right to me. So I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, Mark, that's not me. And I'm on this podcast, so that's not me. No, it is me. It is me. But I'll tell you one thing, man. When I hear him say that, I hear the that you know that what is it corinthians whatever that's read around marriages sometimes it's not read at all of them all the weddings but if you look at it, it says like christ loved the church so actually men what does it mean to lead it actually means to die that's what it means it means you're you're you die you lay your life down like literally like you know how the literally the, you put the there's a puddle you put your your trench coat across the puddle so the woman can cross yeah that's your that's your body that's your light like put you put yourself down let your wife and your kids walk on your back across the thing yeah like that's what it really looks like so when i think leadership loves things like oh no that that that's not that's not leadership that's authoritarianism that's not what it is leadership is jesus washing the feet of the disciples that's when i think when i when i think about what mark was saying i'm like I could perceive it one way, but I also know like if you really study God's word and you really understand what it means when it says husbands yep. over the wife, whatever, it actually means you lay your life down. Amen. I agree. She, the, the bride is the church. The bride is your wife. And you know, the one thing, and I've said it on so many podcasts and I'll say it again, the thing that changed me and switched me was the Corinthians verse where, where Paul says, you know, when I was a child, I thought like a child and I acted like a child. And then there became a time to be a man and put the childish ways behind me. Now <laughs> I'm a child at heart. My wife calls me like a 47 year old teenager. But I did start to take things a lot more seriously, start leading the family. I, I put my kids to bed every night. I pray with them every night. And, and when they want to do the short prayers and they, or they want to do the superficial prayers, even the five-year-old, they say, Phoenix, there's more, to, there's more that you're thankful for. Let's try that again. And then I see the older one, the eight-year-old, leading the younger one. And that's what makes me proud as a father. Or when I see them praying over people or when my daughter prays, Dad, or she says, Heavenly Father, I pray that anyone that comes into this house that doesn't know Jesus, that you may reveal yourself to them. She's eight. 
She's eight and we never taught her how to pray that way. So what we're looking at here is we're talking about a revival of the family. It is time, men, to put the ways of a child behind you and step up because our families depend on it. The future of this world depends on it. And like he says, if we don't raise them and we don't step up, guess who will be more than willing to step in and do the dirty work? That's Satan. And so, so important. And I love where we're going with this. And there's one more segment we're going to get to here. And I feel like, again, this is one of the most important. It's your vocation. It's how you both are not just Christians at home and Christians on Sundays. You guys are 24-7, 365 Christians. And you both are doing some amazing things for the kingdom in your personal lives. But more importantly, you're not separating them. You are true ministry in the marketplace men. So, Stephen, um, I'm going to go to you first. I know, let's go back to that question. You had uh, this thing all planned out before COVID. You, you had your men's retreat and you had a great, great kind of philosophy and you had the whole program. Just tell us about that and where it is now. Yeah. So, I'll kind of back up to kind of share some of my heart on it and then get to it. So, um, something that stood out to me, somebody said it to me, um, I forget when, but it, and it was just in passing. This gentleman said this thing to me. He said, he said, what he sees in today's day and age is a mad dash rush for mediocrity, right? There was this mad dash rush scurry around doing all this stuff just to fit in, to be accepted. And as Christian men, are we called to fit in? No, right? We're called to be set apart, to stand out. And one thing that we fear or that I, and and again, the reason why I am so passionate about this is because of the the work that the Lord is doing in my, me and what he's taught me and the fear of rejection that I personally dealt with and that I am overcoming. And he's working on that in me and working on my boldness. And so, you know, what, what is it, what is it? uh, Our greatest weakness becomes our greatest strength. Yep. You know, um, the Lord is walking me down that road. And so we fear, right? We want to fit in because when we fit in, we're not rejected. And when we get rejected, we're afraid, right? One of the things that we, we build these walls around us to fit in to protect the world from seeing our wounds and seeing sometimes our heart. Yeah. And so the word vulnerable means to really to share your heart. And it takes courage to share your heart. And so the point of doing these retreats or these times where we get to be together is to create environments where men get to come together and be vulnerable together, be courageous together so that we can go home and be courageous at home. And courageous is not this macho thing at home. Courageous is dying. to ourself. Courageous is being vulnerable to our wife and to our kids. So the point or the the mission or the vision behind these is to bring men together where we can be challenged together, where we can be vulnerable together and uh and then and go go back to battle together. So mm. I'll tell you what. I mean, think about how that would change the world. Think about what happens is we we'll get together so easily. If someone says, "Hey, I got a I got a fantasy football draft." Yeah, I'm there. I'll fly out of town. We'll meet. We'll meet. Uh, I'll spend the airfare and we'll meet halfway across the country. We we'll do our fantasy football draft, right? 
But hey, let's meet up for a weekend to talk about being vulnerable. Let's talk about being courageous. Let's talk about being men of Christ and how we can lead our families and communities. Come on, guys. That's what I'm talking about, brother. That is what I'm talking about. And I tell you what, we're going to do that. I, I, we're going to do it live and hopefully we're going to do it sooner than later and we're going right. to be there. Um, and, and in the meantime, we're going to do podcasts like this. We're going to reach out like this and we're going to do things to keep people aware of it because it is a spiritual warfare going on right now. And we have mm -hmm. to not do it just on Sundays and we can't just do it in the confines of our own home. We have to be bold, like you said, Stephen. And so boldness is something that I heard from your brother and I'll never forget this on that first walk again. He's telling me about his time when he was in his, in his practice. And, and then he said, well, I challenged the other guys that I was coaching. How many people have you saved this week? And I said, well, Pete, what do you mean? How many people have they saved? Where? I, I go, are you talking about at work? Like at your actual place of work? He goes, yeah. How many people that come into your office are you going to save? And I was like, dude, that, that's bold. That's bold. <laughs> Tell us about that, Pete. Yeah, I mean, I feel for me that my faith has always been a really important part of my professional journey. And I, early on in clinic <clears throat> as a practitioner, you know, I, I, I talked about my faith, but I wasn't really bold about the faith initially. But yeah, I got convicted maybe a year or two into, into practice that, you know, that we're not doing that anymore. And it became something that was just the most important thing for me was that, you know, I was going to tell people every patient that walked in the door, starting on the first day, I want to tell them about, you know, God and God's power and how God designed the body and how the body's designed to heal. And, you know, how you're actually being given a, a gift of stewardship over the body, but your body is actually not yours. So you should think about it quite differently. You know, that's a type of, that's like, if you're going to go to a doctor and they're going to tell you, talk to you like that, you're kind of like, well... I'm not sure I'm going to stay here. I don't like that. You know, it's like, but, but we were, we were very um, open about that, you know? And so now, so I did that, you know, in my clinically, that's how I ran the, my, my practice. Now I, I do it with doctors and I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're the CEO, but God owns the, the business, you know? And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you, you're not the owner. God does because ultimately, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, so I, I, I tried to change the perspective because my current clients are, are business owners, right? So I, I try to speak to them in a place of like, you need to like come down a notch. You need to remember where everything comes from. And, and so not all of them are believers in, in, in any shape or form. I think I attract people that are yeah. tend to be more faith-filled family oriented because I'm very upfront about my family, yeah. my faith. And, and my values, right? I think we're, we should be attracted to people who share our core values. Yeah. But I also think we should, be a, we should attract people who maybe don't share our core values, but those are aspirational. And they're like, mm -hmm. I want to have that in my life. Mm -hmm. And that's what I feel is what, how I approach my work is I'm very open about it. I'm, in, I'm intentional, I'm forcing anything down anybody's throat. I don't think Jesus did that. Um, you know, I, I think Jesus was at parties a lot and he was hanging out with people just... And, and so that was, that was cool. Like he could, because he knew who he was, yeah. he knew who he was and who's he was. So he can go to the environment, even though all the, the religious are there like, dude, I saw that guy at that party the other day. Can you believe it? What is that of our, what is that today? You know, what is that for us today? What does that look like? I think it looks like the marketplace. Yeah. And so, you know, can we go successfully into the workspace and be a Christian man, be faith filled, 
and actually share my faith with people. Can, can I do that? And so I tested it clinically and now I'm testing it in the, in B2B, you know, and I'm like, yeah, it's being done. It's, it's happening. And, and I like surrounding myself with other business people who are like that because I'm like, you know, I need to be held accountable. And that's where the whole salvation thing came in. It's like, I started surrounding myself with other business owners and leaders who were saying that's the standard. I was like, all right, here we go. You know, and it's like, that's yeah. the next level. And, and to me, you know, that's what, and then I'll, I'll finish with this in the Bible. It talks about the word Christian is mentioned, I think a few times, but the word disciple is mentioned mm. hundreds of times. And we're actually called to make disciples. So mm. it, what is a disciple? That's somebody who follows Jesus, right? So not follow Pete, not follow Stephen or David, it's actually followed Jesus. So if I do my job well, then I, and that's the same thing with my kids. If I do my a job well with my kids, my kids will decide to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do Amen. my, I, if I, if that's my BHAG, <laughs> I'll take it. You know, same thing with work. If, I, if we could accomplish that, thanks for hiring me for that season. Exactly. You know? Leading by example, leading in boldness, you know, and I believe that God will 10x those things that you, that you put there. Uh, when you plant seeds, they will, they will ultimately come to fruition and they will blossom. Um, I had a similar experience. I remember people telling me, hey, you know what? I know you, you've always talked about faith and I know you carry that very close to your heart. But if you want to attract people, you, you should tone it down a little bit because you'll, you'll maybe cut half your audience. And I thought to myself one day, it was an epiphany. And I said, no, <laughs> I'm here. I'm this successful because of my faith and because God has blessed me, I'm going to do the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as a writer, you know, I, I put it in writing terms. I said, Jesus, instead of making you a footnote in my business, I'm going to make you a headline. And then I started moving forward. And then I started working in my speak up class and it was a small intimate group. And I'd always get nervous and I, and I would start to talk about God. And then sooner or later, God was bringing me people and he was bringing me people. And like you said, Pete, it wasn't everybody, but if there were six people in a class, you know, three of them were really strong Christians. Uh, you know, two of them were kind of, you know, what you call your, your faith filled religious people. And then one was maybe like not even, you know, finding it. And by the end of the six weeks, you know, people are, were talking about God, we're talking about Jesus. And that other person's like, Whoa, maybe that's the one who needed it the most. So we have to step out there in faith and realize that if we're not bold in our families, if we're not bold in our, in our communities and in our places of business, doing a ministry in the marketplace, then again, who are we to serve? And I love that how you put it. This is not your business. This is God's business. He's put you here for a reason. So amen to both of you for that. Amen. I love this conversation. I'm going to ask you one final question. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I'm just going to ask you, uh, I'll go, Stephen. What does your brother mean to you? My brother has been a great role model for me. Uh, He means a lot because uh, I was the youngest of six. And I always saw that sports was important to us, and I saw them growing up. I remember Pete's turnaround jump shot. always admired that. Uh, but uh, I think Pete and I have had kind of, uh, of the siblings, maybe more of a kindred spirit in terms of just in, in, towards a certain way. Um, and so I really looked up to him. And so he's been a model for me. He's more than a – he's a brother. He's a spiritual brother. Um, and, oh, and, and well, I, and I'll share this, you know, um, 
after, you know, you asked Dave, was the resistance, you know, yeah. uh, th there were times growing up through teenage years and all that, where I, I expressed my resistance and made certain choices. Um, and of all the people, Pete really reached out to me and he brought me in. Um, he actually gave, gave me a home, you know, not that I was homeless, but he brought me in and, uh, and really took me under his wing um a number of years ago this was now going back 10 12 years ago and uh he he got me he actually really got me involved in fitness which became a huge part and and catapult for me in terms of um forming positive habits in my life so i know i'm kind of long-winded here a little bit but um all, all that to say is you know i i deeply love you pete and and i i'm extremely grateful um to have an older brother. So uh, a role model, I guess, would be the, the way to sum it up. I love it. So nice to hear that. I love wow. it. All right, Pete. I guess the same question for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, Stephen, I, I mean, thank you for, for sharing that. And you're, you're making me uh, get choked up here uh, on this podcast. But man, I, I'm just so grateful for you, man. And uh, grateful that we get to, uh, that we are brothers. And uh, for everything we've been able to journey through. Um, just so thankful, man. And so thanks for saying that. Um, I always tell my wife this <laughs> about Steven. I'm like, Steven's so much better than me. <laughs> I just want to be more like Steven. <laughs> That's what I always tell her. I'm like, he's kinder. He's more gentle. He's smarter. He's cooler. He can lift more weight. I'm like, he's stronger. I'm like, you know, what do you do? And when, when your younger brother, he's, he's better than you at everything. Um, no, and I mean that, like, really, Stephen is an incredible talent and gifted human being. I look up to you uh, in so many ways, but mostly um, you're just such a kind human being. And it's very rare to find men who are strong, who are also kind yeah, and gentle, like the gentle man. And I always think about that. I'm like, man, you know what? I've always looked up to you for that consciously, probably since we really started doing life together, like you said, about 10, 12 years ago. Um, even though all your, maybe you didn't have all your stuff together, you might say at that moment or whatever, it was, it was inside of you. And, and so I saw that, we recognized that, Mary and I right away. And still to this day, I'm like, man, Stephen is my, I, I know I can live up to a higher standard because Stephen, you set the bar so high. So I appreciate you and I look up to you um, in so many ways, but in one specific way, it's just how you conduct yourself as a, as a man. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, um, here's the thing. Uh, the first time I met Stephen, uh, he is a strong man. He's, he's, a, he's a strong man. He's in every sense of the word, he is a man, and he's a, he's a man of faith. And that's, he's a great role model for other men. So if, if, you think that, if you think that being a follower of Jesus or being a faithful man makes you weaker, it's exactly the opposite. It only makes you stronger. It only makes you more courageous. It only makes you more brave and more of a man. The first time I met Pete, I'm telling you, I mean, he told me a couple of things like I revealed in this podcast where I'm like, God put this person into my life for a reason. And he was brought to me by his brother. So I thank you guys, both of you for being here. I thank you guys both for being role models as fathers, as husbands, um, and, and particularly leaders in the community and followers of Christ. The last thing I want to say is those of you who are listening right now, if you made it this far, we're coming up on a season where you're probably going to be around your family. We're coming up on Christmas. We're coming up on a time where you're going to have a chance to impact your brothers, your sisters, your mom and dad. Don't wait to tell them how much they mean to you. If there's a rift in the family, 
if there is something going on where you haven't spoken to one another, you haven't shared feelings, don't wait, do it. Be the bigger person. If they mean something to you, don't assume that they know it. Don't assume that your brother or sister knows how much you love them. Tell them. Your mom or dad, tell them what they've done for you, especially as your parents are getting older. Let them know the legacy that they've made in your life. Maybe your parents weren't perfect. Maybe you didn't have a great upbringing, okay? Guess what? Their parents probably weren't perfect either. We have to recognize and give our parents grace. Some of you guys hold animosity toward your, toward your parents, and you have to say, what did they do good? As they get older, let them know something that they did to impact your life, even if it was a little something, even if you had a parent that you just, mm, gosh, you might have not picked them if you had the choice. You got to ask what happened to them. Each generation should be getting better. We have to pour into the youth so that way we can save this world. We can save this world. And when I mean save it, I'm talking about like Pete saves his, the people that come into his practice, not just save it from financial calamity, not just save it from social calamity. I'm talking about saving souls. This is the season to do it. Heading into 2021, let's be grateful that we're here. Let's be grateful for the experience. Let's be grateful for the character that we've all built through this tumultuous time in our nation's history, in our world's history. And let's say, what can we do like these two men here as brothers, as leaders in the community and as husbands, what can we do to ensure that we give that precious generation that's coming after us an equal chance at happiness and to know God's love. So with that being said, thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Those of you listening to this, please share this. I mean, we do a lot of podcasts. This is one of my favorites right here because these are real people and they really are doing great things in their community. So please share this. So thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you, David. Great God to be bless. Here. We'll see you next time on the Turned On Podcast.